Becker, Scotty, excited for another week on the pod, guys. Hey, buddy. Woo. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I'm mostly excited, though, about the, the big news. Um, came out of Apple this week. At, at, you know, the old company the Beatles owned. Do you guys hear? No. Don't. Nothing about oh. it. So they, they've re-enlisted, um, you know, sometimes Beatles producer Jeff Lynn. He, he's coming back in. And they are getting ready for uh, the Beatles 2 anthology. I'm psyched. Don't you mean the uh, Beatles anthology 2? Oh, no. This is from the original demos from my band from second grade, Beatles 2. <laughs> We're putting together the anthology. <laughs> I can't wait. Mono. goodness it's episode 13 of blotto beatles uh here we go everybody let's hit the ground running we are the show where a few friends have a few drinks while discussing and ranking a single beatles tune uh episode 13 i'm really excited i would like to once again introduce uh my co-host uh my great friend and the man who on our group uh text line today said his podcasting is like jazz we've got uh my friend becker how you doing tonight man that was that was a private message <laughs> you actually said it though so i want people to know how you think it, you know you just freewheeling and soloing all the way through this thing great. i'm great i'm actually this is an episode i was really looking forward to as starting this podcast i didn't think we would necessarily talk about this track as early as we're going to but um uh, I'm very curious to get into it because I don't think that we've even really talked about it that much uh, as friends. No, we haven't. Um, I, I'm I'm really excited. I can't wait. And uh, with us, as always, to talk about the track, we have our EP, the executive producer, the George Martin of New England. Scotty C, how you doing, man? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. I'm I'm excited for this track. And Someone also called you the Jeff Lynn of New Bedford. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> E-L-O no on that one. <laughs> uh, guys, here in the Virtual Abbey Road tonight, we have, uh, we got another square on the call here uh, as I'm looking into my computer screen. Uh, it's really an honor and a privilege. I'd like to introduce uh, the Blotto Scruffs to our guest for the evening, uh, scholar and author himself, Mr. Chris McKittrick, uh, just released uh, the book Somewhere You Feel Free about Tom Petty's years in Los Angeles and, and playing music. Um, i really excited to have you here, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me along. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Petty, I like, I, I think I could probably talk about Petty all night, but what, what do you think it was that drove you to really focus in on Tom Petty and these years and, and what brought you to this book? So uh, my previous book that I wrote was uh, the uh, Can't Give It Away on 7th Avenue, The Rolling Stones in New York City, where I wrote about the connection between this band from across the Atlantic Ocean and how much history they had in New York City, not just the concerts and recordings, but, you know, publicity stunts. And they live, um, uh, you know, Jagger, Richards and Wood all lived in the city. So I wanted to do something similar when uh, I was writing a, a follow up book. 
And I decided to go with Petty simply because he's a similar case where he was from someplace else. I mean, he's unmistakably from Northern Florida. You can, he never lost that accent. Um, but yet he moved to Los Angeles uh, in the mid-70s and really made that his home base and became part of really what we think of the Southern California music tradition of the birds and Buffalo Springfield. And, and, you know, he, he, and he, he actually himself argued that he's the last of that chain, um, which I don't know if that's presumptuous or (laughs) it's probably true to be honest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I and, don't know what uh, I would replace him with, you know. Yeah, I don't it's know a little self-congratulatory, you know? but it works. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah, you know. But you know, I, I, there's 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 something to be said about saying that you know I'm the last in line here, so you know better better appreciate me or whatever. So uh, and uh, I I myself am a transplant to Los Angeles. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm living here now, and uh, you know I felt very sort of connected in that sense of coming from across the way and and writing about uh, writing about someone who who's uh, a transplant, but really became part of the love and the lore of the city himself. Great. I love it. I'm going to say this without having checked the stats on where the geography of our listeners are from, but like, isn't it a little amazing that Petty's from Florida? Like in some way, like who is bigger and from Florida in the music world? Like, and I'm probably not thinking that it's probably right in front of my face, but is there a bigger star from Florida? What's so interesting is so Petty's from Gainesville, Florida, which is really just known for U- University of Florida. Um, but from that town came um, Tom, uh, uh, Tom and Bernie Leadon. Bernie Leadon, of course, from the Eagles. Don Felder, oh, who yeah. also later joined the Eagles. Uh, and then Tom Leadon later became a member of. Uh, well, he was a member of Mud Crutch, which was Tom Petty's sort of yep. side band or side yep. band. Um, all of the Heartbreakers were connected to Gainesville, so it's it's insane to think that this 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 town produced so much raw musical talent, um, and uh, you know, in a short period of time, which is yep. it's it's pretty eye opening. But you're, you're correct. I think I think Petty is the one that people most think of when they think of who what what rock stars are from florida i mean jim morrison was from florida but nobody thinks of jim morrison or he was in florida for a while um nobody really thinks of him as floridian uh tom petty i think is is the one that that people usually think of yeah the doors absolutely like adopted the west coast um, yeah tried to erase i think florida from their history <laughs> i think the west coast has been trying to distance themselves from that for years actually <laughs> like, no he's from florida trust me <laughs> Um, he, I, I'm a huge Tom Petty fan. I, I love Petty and he's always kind of been on the periphery of my like deep dives. I, I don't think I've ever done it. And, um, you know, full disclosure at this point, uh, we are recording this prior to Chris, your, your book actually being released when, when this episode is released, by the time it comes out, you, your book has been out. Um, and you sent us some excerpts from it and, uh, it, it's just it's great reading. I, I can't wait to get in more. And the the thing I kept coming back to was like, Petty is maybe the most universally accepted like rock artist in in some way. Like the, I never hear people saying like I hate Tom Petty. Everyone knows twenty songs or thirty songs, and every song seems like it's a hit or whatever. But my question that, that I kept coming back to, and I don't know if you have an answer or if maybe you even disagree with this kind of thesis. Petty never seems like he has that um, great artist 
label thrown on him, right? Like, like this idea of like a, a John Lennon, you know, is, you know, writing Imagine or something like that, that, you know, has the some scholarly weight to it or something like that. And Petty's just always been or always was a rocker and everyone loves him, but he, he people never really talk about his art. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think for a couple of reasons. I, I also, I think primarily Tom Petty never really took himself super seriously. And you can see that in all of the amazing music videos he made in the 1980s (laughs) and the early nineties. Yeah. Like he, he had a lot of fun with what he was doing, Uh, you know, and you know, uh, you can compare him very easily to like, in terms of writing of with a, with a Springsteen or a Mellencamp or a Bob Seger. Uh, And all those guys kind of touch upon the same themes, but you would have never seen any of those three other guys in the videos that 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 Tom Petty made in the 1980s. You you would never see Bruce right. Springsteen dressed as the Mad Hatter or Bob Seger, yeah. you know, dancing with Kim Basinger as a corpse or something like that. Um, <laughs> so I think that actually, in some ways, hurt his standing as a great artist. However. I do think that that's starting to turn around ever since his his unfortunate, you know, early sh- and in some ways really shocking death. I think has uh, a lot of, in the last three years, people have reevaluated and said, you know, what we maybe didn't appreciate how great of a songwriter he was, uh, you know, because we were so busy like pumping our fists to running down a dream uh, to realize that that he really wrote some profound stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I never well got said. to see Petty, yeah. and he sort of. He came around every summer, right? And he played the big sort of outdoor, it's not an amphitheater, I don't even know what we would call it here, but the big outdoor place where bands of his stature play. And I was, I was like, oh, I'll catch him next year. Probably w- one of my biggest regrets of like someone I could catch. Absolutely. I mean, since since high school, friends were just going every summer, like of friends across all categories were just like, we're going to see Petty. Like it's it's the show to see. And I I am disappointed that I've, I've never went out. Um yeah, Chris, everyone I've, I know that's seen him has always said, killer show. Like, oh, yeah. Great night, best time. Yeah. Wait, there was no th- filler, all, right? It was all, all three. Killer? <laughs> all yeah. three of us have not seen Petty? No, I never saw Petty. My wife did. <laughs> I guess that I'm the only one. Yeah, that, yeah, seen that's, that seems many, ridiculous. Many times. Uh, yeah, that, it, that's dumb. We should yeah, probably not do a podcast anymore. <laughs> 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 really removes some credibility all of yeah. I never saw the Beatles either, though. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. That I put, true. I do put the the petty regret up with like never seeing Levon Helm at those rambles out in yeah. Woodstock. Like we we talked about that every summer too. Like we got to get to one of those, and it just never happened. Like yeah, we never had a hundred dollars. Absolutely not. Um, I uh, do, Chris. If it's okay with you, I'd, uh, as I was reading through the excerpt, there were some images that just stuck out at me. Do you mind if we throw like a, a couple spoilers out to the the listening audience here, so they. They hear some of this because these facts were just amazing to me. Go right um, ahead. Tom Petty used to throw his own softball games <laughs> and then had to go to save on to buy extra softball mitts for people. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Bob Dylan manning a barbecue <laughs> is incredible. Uh, Jeff Lynn, Tom Petty, and Roy Orbison not being able to put down the hood of Petty's new car. <laughs> <It's an laughs> Those are some of the bits that were a ton of fun. In your I'll never thing. forget. Yeah. Um, 
Scott, I know you like this one too. Tom Petty, George Harrison, and Jeff Lynne at a Denny's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who got the moons over Miami, I wonder. <laughs> and then finally, the full moon fever release party was on the Starship Enterprise <laughs> with George yeah. Harrison, Stevie Nicks, Lindsey Buckingham, the Beastie Boys, Duff McGagan, and Stephen Atmar. <laughs> like, oh, Make it so. I want to go to that party. There, and there's an amazing photo from that. Um, Kurt Loder interviewed um, uh, interviewed Petty for whatever syndicated rock show he was doing at the time. And Petty is sitting in the captain's chair on the Enterprise, smoking a cigarette with a drink in his hand. And you know, wow. I didn't know that you could you could smoke on the Enterprise, but you know, <laughs> Tom Petty lights up a cigarette. No one's going to tell him put him out. You know, even if you're on the Enterprise. But yeah, he he was his his label was uni- uh, was owned by Universal at the time. So Universal Studios had the Star Trek uh, adventure uh, experience, and he said, "Can I do my album release party there?" And they said, "Yeah, why not?" That's, that's <laughs> incredible. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, there is something to be said about having fun i guess when you're in that position you were saying right that his music videos are sort of this they're fun right and like springsteen is probably he's he's not a ton of fun he probably has some regrettable music videos Seeger's probably a little bit more fun and and maybe there's no room for that i i don't know because i'm exactly with you where it's like why tom petty has i, I don't know this someone can back me up or tell me i'm wrong tom petty has more top 10 hits than dylan does yes or no I'm going to go with yes, but I don't <laughs> it, have... It feels that way. I mean, like, I, I, I would think the average person could not tell me, like, a Petty record. They would know maybe one or two Petty albums, but they would name 20 to 30 Petty tunes, you know, which I think is speaks to something, you know? Totally. Uh, I went to uh, a Tom Petty concert once with someone who was like, oh, yeah, I'll go. I'm not a big fan. And as the concert went on... They kept saying, oh, my goodness, I forgot about this song. I forgot that he did yeah. this song. I forgot, you know, and then all of a sudden they play, uh, he played uh, Last Dance with, or Mary Jane's Last Dance. And they were like, that's one of my favorite songs. I forgot he did it. And I was like, wait, it's your yeah. favorite song. And you forgot he did it. Like, <laughs> it became like a running joke where at the point he he would just look at me. and I go, yeah, he does this song, too. Yep. And he goes, I, yeah. I forgot, you know, but uh, I would put him in that category underappreciated in the sense that we forget how many great radio hits he had um because you know we you know stuff like free fallen has overshadowed you know overshadowed because that was such a massive hit that it's like yeah but don't do me like that was a big hit too right you know uh and, and they're and they're know. genuinely great songs too it's not right, just right. radio hits it's like they're great songs like great for anything yeah mm-hmm. so guys um i love talking about petty and as i said earlier we could do it all night um you know, we'd probably get into the the Halloween that Scott and I played in a cover band called the Tom Petty's, where we all dressed as Tom Petty and played all Tom Petty songs for a Halloween party <laughs> at his house. Um, but we we don't have time. It, we, we've got to get back into our Beatles cast, and, and the name is Blotto Beatles. So let's start with the first half of that, and you know, just quickly go around the horn here with what we are drinking tonight. Uh, first of all, on deck, it's getting a little cool outside, and when cool weather hits, I want to have a Manhattan. So I've got one in the glass right now with some Maker's Mark bourbon. Becker, what do you got? Uh, I'm drinking the Boulevardier tonight because I've been drinking Negronis a ton, and I, I I'm still on the Campari kick, and this basically just subs the the bourbon for the for the gin. So that's been uh, been what I'm up to. And then of course I have on deck the official beer of Blood. Uh, I do too. Yep. The Devil's Purse Handline Kolsch, and I'll be cracking those open um, 
pretty soon. I still got, you know, got a little cocktail left. Yeah, I, I poured a little too much uh, Manhattan in the shaker tonight, so it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll be I'm here sure a while. Sure oh, whoops. <laughs> uh, Scotty, what do you got? Oops. All Oops. Manhattan. Um. <laughs> there was a problem at the Manhattan factory. <laughs> I got I got the standby. I got Jameson, my old comfort my comfort drink with my blankie. Yeah. Wrap up in that blankie. And once again, we're, we're welcoming a guest here, Chris. Um, I, I see on the on our call here, you've got a, a cup that you're raising to your lips and a beer. And what, what are you drinking tonight? First of all, Tommy, I want to correct you. There's nothing. Uh, there's no example of pouring too much in a shaker. It's just, <laughs> it's not, you know, only if it overflows right. on the side and you're spilling yeah, it. That's that's too much. Uh, I'm, I'm going to quote you for when I see my wife later on. Okay. Yeah, so. <laughs> so the, 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 our guest said it was totally fine. Um, yeah. I wanted to stick around with the petty theme. So I am drinking San Fernando Brewing Company's uh, IPA, uh, which is a nice, easy drinking IPA. And I, I picked it because, again, Tom Petty, who lived many years in Encino here in the Valley and sang such a memorable song about the Valley and, and free falling. So I just thought I would I would uh, promote my book even more. <laughs> right on. I like Fantastic. it. Fantastic. And I saw you, you're on a little bit of a rock block here. You've got something over in the corner. I saw a bottle come out. What is that? So I was told that there is some sort of mystery shot, uh, you know, uh, but I, I'm kidding. I've listened to the show before. I know all about it. So I wanted to make sure I had something really good in case the word gets said. Um, so keeping it in the theme. Uh, and of course, Dylan was mentioned uh, earlier. I have Heaven's Door, uh, Tennessee Bourbon Straight bourbon whiskey which is of course is bob dylan's endorsed whiskey and uh it's pretty good stuff so i'm yeah i have the word gets said <laughs> <laughs> we'll find a way my friend we will find a way hey hey becker yes bud yeah hey so chris seems pretty cool first of all he's out dude can keep him on yeah um i think he knows a lot about petty that's clear do you think he knows who the beatles are I don't know. I think he All thought right. he joined a drunken petty cast. All right. So I, I'm going to, uh, we, we'll pretend when like, it's not about him, but I'm going to prime you to talk about the Beatles All a right. bit. Okay. I got All it. right, cool. All I right. It. All right. I'll get back to the show. All right. So uh, with that said, like, I mean, Chris, clearly, you know who the Beatles are. That's <laughs> obvious. Uh, but you know, there might be someone out there who, who doesn't. And so before we, we talk about the, uh, the song for this episode, Becker, you know, Take us through the paces here. Who are the Beatles? Yeah, I would love to fill everyone in. Um, I got this odd factoid this this week, actually, and I don't know how we didn't know this, but um, I found out that they are the... Uh, every member of this band is inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame individually um, yeah. without the band being inducted, which seems odd that we would do a podcast about Wait. them because I feel like we would do a pretty legendary band. But and I think you'd say, and we'd probably all agree on the call here, is that they were a super, uh, like a super duper group, you know, before that term really had ever super, been termed, you know? Super yeah. duper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super duper. Duper, super duper. And, uh, you know, I don't like a band of brothers because I don't think that it ever works out, right? You got the Kinks, you've got Oasis, it just can't work. But apparently Hanson. it's, it's uh, Otis Wilbury, Lefty Wilbury. Charlie Wilbury, Lucky nope. Wilbury, and nope. uh, the man himself, George Harrison. Hey, it, you, you, <laughs> nope. Tommy, nope. you've always told me that George Harrison is in the Beatles. George Harrison is in George the Harrison Beatles. has another band? Because I don't think so. Yeah. Listen, listen to some of these hits. All right. 
being Forbison of Mr. Kite. <laughs> <laughs> the continuing Storbison of Bungalow Bill. <laughs> what? Eleanorbison. The first record. <laughs> Eleanorbison Rigby. Oh, God. Good Morbison, Good Morbison. <laughs> <laughs> Only a Norbison song. <laughs> no, and never... uh, uh, don't lend me down. <laughs> <laughs> That's the production on that one. I'm not sure about. Um, no, dude, it happened again. You are talking about yeah, the the first super group and featuring George Harrison. You're talking about the Traveling Wilburys, and uh, uh, we're not doing a, a Wilburys cast though. It would. <sighs> Handles well, with care. We have like handles of booze. <laughs> that would be your drunken fetish. That would be my uh, drunken, drunken Wilbur's cast. Wilbur's yeah. cast. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well I would done. love to be on that. What do we think as a cast about the traveling Wilburys, guys? Well, as we know, I clearly know who the Beatles are. I think it's a fun interlude here to have our guest on and find this crossover point between Petty and the Beatles. And I think the most natural point is the Wilburys, right? And we've. Yeah. I don't think we've ever touched on the Wilburys at this point. No, no. So, uh, I quite honestly don't even know where we stand on it. Yeah. Well, Chris, how, what's your feeling on the Wilburys? Let's start with you. How, as a, a band, where do you think they, they sit? Well, in terms of raw talent, you really can't argue with the fact of who these people are involved in then. I mean, it's 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 the super group of all super groups. It's you got, And that's the preamble always for the traveling Wilburys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, oh, yeah. look who's there. <laughs> yeah. Who's the we- who's the weakest link of the Wilburys, Chris? Oh, the weakest link. See, I think it's normally okay. most of them are dead. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think most Americans would look at it with Jeff Lynn and say, who's who's that guy? Uh, oh, but he yeah. he's just got such an important role as the producer. Um, I'm going to have to go with Orbison and I love him dearly, but only because they made another album after he died. So <laughs> clearly they felt that they could go on without him. Uh, once Harrison died, it's not like. Dylan Petty and and Lynn were like, let's do another Wilburys album. They were like, no, we're done. Uh, let's yeah. do volume twenty. Yeah. So, um, but as I was going, is is um, I think in terms of it, it's fun to listen to that album because it's such a quick the, uh, the first one. It's such a quick yeah. album to go through and to hear like someone like Dylan clearly not taking taking himself seriously, which was it's it's not a Dylan that you always get. Um, like for example, Tweeter and the Monkey Man is I yes. love that track because it's just Dylan. Like every, you know, everyone said Springsteen, or a lot of people said Springsteen's the next Bob Dylan, and Bob Dylan's like I could write a Bob, Bob Springsteen song. Here we go, and yeah. just like you could tell, he just t- I, like I get the feeling that he just tossed that song off, you know. And when well, I really- love that. You, you were talking about that in the book a bit. I, I read that part, and yeah. then you know I listened back to Tweeter and the Monkey Man with that in mind, and I'm like. That's funny to me because it, it's like, oh, it's just a Dylan song. <laughs> like, right. Dylan doing Springsteen is just Dylan. <laughs> yeah, know? right. So, uh, I mean, I have a lot of love for that. I have a lot of love for the album just because I love everyone who's on it. And I definitely, yeah. it's a nice, easy listening Sunday record, uh, drinking a bourbon lemonade, hanging out. Um, but uh, yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely see why there are people that are like, oh, why wasn't it even better? There's five amazing musicians in it. But I think yeah. it was a bunch of guys. Just they had a, like a week and a half to record it, and they're like, let's just have, let's just have fun. Like uh, Tom Petty compared it to being at summer camp because he was yeah. like, it was just like hanging out with a bunch of your buddies and trying to write the the best songs you could in the time that you had. 
Uh, and especially for the first album, because Orbison was one of those, you know, like we think of these, you were talking about uh, uh, Levon Helm from the band, like touring every summer, you know, it's like Orbison had the he- a ridiculously heavy touring schedule. Probably one of the reasons why he ended up dying of a heart attack um, because he was just constantly on the road and they literally had like a week and a half to record this album. So they, right. they did. I've never I, investigated it all that much, but it was in your book that I'm sort of like, uh, I like that the vibe of this is fun and that they're aware of making like that. This is all coming together by chance, like pre internet cell phone days. Like these guys are literally like bumping into each other in LA and then being like, we should go make this record, you know? And like, that part of it makes it almost more inspirational than I had thought about it before. I mean, all things said, I've never really dove that deep into the, I've I've listened to volume one and three a ton, but I've never like gone that into the story of it. So I had thought that it was a little bit more deliberate. And so I think to, to step back to it, to be like, this was almost just like a happening of like, we should get something and then, Oh, we should grab Roy and, and do this thing. And it's like that, that makes it that much more interesting to me, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%, Becker. And I think it, what I've thought about the Wilburys historically has always been like, there's just something where it feels like the corners are sanded off a little bit. Like it, it's, you know what I mean? There's no edge to it. And that might come from the fact that there is zero conflict. Like, the, the, did the Beatles get to their best stuff because, you know, George Harrison says no to something or like Paul and John disagree. And that, that disagreement leads them to the, the, the better product in the end. Um, and this is just uh, a bunch of friends hanging out, recording a fun record over a couple of weeks. Like, I think yeah. it's in the, your book, right. But they're like pulling straws to sing or whatever it is. Like they're just mm-hmm. like going around on lyrics and then sorting it out at the end. Like, it doesn't seem like there is an ego there. I mean, is that true on, on volume one? Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to have a, have an ego when you think the person sitting next to you is even more famous than you are, you know? So yeah, you're like, right. I can't, you know, Dylan's looking at George Harrison going, well, he was a Beatle and Dylan going looking, you know, and, and J- Harrison looking at Dylan go, yeah, but you know, he wrote like a Rolling Stone and Petty looking at Orbison and go, I don't belong in a room with this guy, you know? And so right. I think that that probably had something to do with it. It's hard to have an ego when you have five superstars together. But Jeff Lynn being like, I'm Jeff Lynn. <laughs> 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 you know what I think is funny about the Wilburys also is that um, Jim Keltner is like barely a member. Like clearly he's like one of the most epic session drummers maybe to date. And they're like, oh, we'll give you give you very little credit. And maybe that's just the 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 consequence of being a session drummer. But like he's a he's a legit musician in in his own right. I guess you just don't stand up next to a super super group. You know, the friggin' drummer. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't say that in the Tom Petty's when I was behind you. <laughs> but didn't Who he have was... a silly didn't he have a silly nickname? They all had the Wilbury thing or the fake yeah, name. Yeah, they call him like uh, like Charlie Biscuit or something. <laughs> I don't remember. It was, it was uh, Buster Sidebury. There Sidebury, it is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's not a real not even Wilbury. Wilbury. Yeah. But I think wow. um Later on, Danny Harrison does some tunes. Is that right? Like, I think he participates later on, and they give him a Wilbury name. Is it Donnie? um... (laughs) Or Donnie or Danny? Should we text? (laughs) No, it's Danny. We got that answer from Womack. (laughs) All right, right. The woe knows. I joked on it a little bit, but I also really like that there are Wilbury names. I think that that's funny. I think it's hilarious. I think it's 
It's also like of the right, like it goes back to us talking about the Ramones earlier. Like it is a little punk rock to be like, <sighs> we are the whatever Wilburys. Like I really like that aspect of things. And then also what I didn't know in the book is the uh, Will Buried It in the Mix uh, reference. Is uh, why that was named. huge. I had yeah. I, I have never heard that before. I don't know if that's oh, common. We'll I hadn't either. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So yeah, that came up when uh, George Harrison and Jeff Lynne were working on George Harrison's comeback and actually really last studio album before he died, Cloud Nine, Nine, where, you know, anytime something happened that that wasn't ideal, they joked, we'll bury it in the mix. And then that's how it originally was Trembling Wilburys, but they changed it to Traveling Wilburys. And that's where the name came from. That's great. Yeah, that seems like a Dylan... uh, you know, line there that like, oh, we're going to be this traveling circus sort of thing like that, you know. Chris, would I be uh, misquoting you to say that Jeff Link killed George Harrison? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a tremendous misquote. <laughs> all right, fair enough. All right, so. All right, I'll hey, edit what, that out. What, yeah, well, well, when we when we edit that, Scotty, just take the word miss out. So oh. he'll, he'll, he'll say, it. that was a tremendous quote. Tremendous quote. All right, I got it. I'll mark it right about, now. This is, how we, this is how we get the pot out there, people. <laughs> We're just throwing grenades. Yeah. Hot takes. Tom yeah. the author says Harrison was murdered by Jeff Lane. Yeah. Oh, Wolf Blitzer, here we come. <laughs> When you talk about funny videos in the time period, clearly of MTV, I always think about um, got my mind set on you, the Harrison video, which yeah. is not great. There's like a talking moose or something in that video. Like it's not it's not a great moment because and, and this is what you said. Harrison doesn't embrace that side. Right. Like you, Harrison was funny in the Beatlesy way of sort of the the, the British a little sardonic thing. Yeah. yeah but. You don't want him in a in a room with a talking moose, and you know, it got my mind set on you. <laughs> yeah, he, clearly a big Billy Big Mouth Bass <laughs> would fit better into that milieu, right? Uh, w- w- with all that said, guys, I-, I do think maybe it's time to move forward with the episode a bit, and uh, maybe start actually talking about the Beatles. Before we do that. <laughs> Um, we, we do have some rules. You can find them on our website, but for tonight, we have a magical mystery word. Scott, you had a, a little bit of information before saying the mystery word that you wanted to tell us about tonight's mystery word came from a special source. Is that right? The magical mystery word was picked by an old friend of mine, Tim. Uh, I've known him for many years. I haven't seen him for many years now at this point, which is a sad thing, but I'm happy to. He lives can... near you, Chris. He, he's out in LA. Oh, actually. Nice. He great oh, guitar he? player. Yeah, if you need to if you need to start something up. Yeah, for the audiobook, <laughs> maybe you should get a little background track. Yeah. Very cool. Do your interstitial music. So he got to pick the mystery word and he, he picked one for this episode. And um I can whisper that to you guys uh in a minute. Yeah, I, I- I'll just say, if anyone's interested, after uh, hopefully we'll hit the mystery word at some point in this episode, uh, I do know that you can find our friend Tim uh, on Instagram at no disassemble. Uh, so check him out. He's a good pal. And we're I'm so psyched that his name got pulled out of the uh Big floppy hat. Uh, I, I think Becker, you, you bought that hat from the last Beatles shoot. That it was the one John Lennon wore, <laughs> super, right? It, super expensive hat. Yeah, but that—that's how we picked the names out for the winners of the sweepstakes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we we pulled out Tim at No Disassemble. You can find him, and uh, we are all going to pull our headphones off, uh, shut off our screens, crawl under our desks, and Scott is going to whisper the magical mystery word. 
ghost. Timmy, we miss you, bud. Uh, we used to play all in a band together. We don't talk about the band that much, but uh, Tim was a huge part of that. And uh, yeah, when this is all over, I hope we get a hang on. Um, real quick, uh, we're here to talk and, and, and dissect a single Beatles track, as you know, but um, uh, just get a little bit of the promo out of the way. You know, please don't forget to like, follow and subscribe to us on your podcast catcher of choice um if you feel so compelled please uh drop those five star reviews they go a real long way we are also always available on the social at blotto beetles on twitter and instagram uh we are also available at blotto beetles at gmail.com and always at blotto beetles.com so uh also in addition uh, we've been getting a, a lot of nice messages and we appreciate uh, any anything that you send our way but uh if you like the show, you know, please just uh, just tell a friend. We we really uh, appreciate any any word of mouth that goes around. And then let's let's not forget that we are on a crusade. It hasn't happened yet, and uh, it's unbelievable <laughs> that this hasn't changed. <laughs> and we've spoke to some people that feel like they they could make this happen, but the original drummer for the Beatles, Pete Best, still does not have a blue check on Twitter. He is not a verified user, which seems insane. Because other- you have helped us with this, actually. You've done some retweets. <laughs> you have put this message out there. What we other credentials it. do you need, as, except for being the original drummer for the Beatles, to get a, a blue check? You know, I think there's like TikTokers that have more blue checks than Pete Best does. I Are we know. sure Pete Best is not on TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> Poor, you you haven't done, be out there dancing. You haven't done what your, he needs to do. Yeah. yeah, you haven't done your Pete Best dance. <laughs> the poor guy has had to live with the idea that he was kicked out of the or kicked out of the Beatles for Ringo, yeah. you know, all these years ago, and you know is only known as the guy who didn't make it. And the least he could have is a blue check. I mean, <laughs> absolutely, I agree, one hundred percent. Twitter, get it together. Uh, but also, we appreciate everything. Thank you for the likes. Thank you for the follows. We love all of the message that we're getting your way. Um, we respect the uh, all the support. We really appreciate. And that one bad public review calling us awful, um, I respect that too. So <laughs> that's thank actually you very much. my favorite review. <laughs> yeah, I love just that. Said awful. <laughs> I don't think it even capitalized awful. <laughs> it's the best. And don't forget to um, tell us how much you like um, the executive producer. <laughs> <laughs> You've got your own plugs now. <laughs> I just came up with that. <laughs> it's going in every week. <laughs> like that was a lot guys and it we we still got to get into this episode it, it's time to get going um becker you had a couple questions for our guest so yeah, yeah absolutely chris we've been talking about betty talking about the wilburys we got a little little george in there but like what is your relationship with the beatles when's the what's the first time you heard uh the boys in blue and what um you know how's it impacted your life to this date so you know, it's 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 hard to think of, of listening to any band that has come after the Beatles and not sort of seen that influence and trace them back. I think, I mean, I definitely remember the 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 music. My parents obviously were fans, and I remember my dad being like, "Look, I have these Beatles records. They're probably going to be worth money." And then found out that there's four billion copies of those <laughs> records out there. Um, I do remember as a kid, very often listening to the chipmunks do the Beatles. So that was probably probably my real introduction to the Beatles music. Um, 
you know, hearing Love Me Do played at a high pitch. Um, Is that just sped up Beatles or do they really get those chipmunks to sing? You know what? <laughs> I think it would be. I, no, they speed up the chipmunks. Yeah. That's how it works. So, so that's how that's, I, th- th- I would say that that was probably my, my real introduction to understanding who the Beatles were, but you know, th- as, as, as much as, you know, as you grow older and, and all that, you just, I mean, I personally appreciate their music more and more and more. I mean, I've written a book about the Rolling Stones that mentions the Beatles constantly because how could you not write about the Stones without referencing the Beatles? Uh, because the Stones themselves love to reference the Beatles when talking about how great they are. Um, <laughs> so, would you, would you put yourself strongly? I think there is a silly demarcation right now between the Stones and the Beatles. Would you put yourself in the stones camp yes i would because i'm a blues guy and i feel their their music reflects that but certainly that doesn't mean like yeah i heard i heard this i heard the stones have done some stuff with the blues yeah they they may have played i heard they're into that that too um but you know this has been great chris thanks for joining us on (laughs) blood Beatles. it's been a pleasure Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but it's not a one or the other it's 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 not it's really not it's not what as is your you thought? Like exile on Main Street. What is your first thought about uh, finding a Beatles song that moved you, sort of on your own, if it exists? I don't want to. I don't want to lead you too much, but so uh, I mean, I've always loved Harrison's songwriting, just because. I mean, it's Lennon McCarthy. There's so many great hits that they've done, but you know, and then all of a sudden you come across something like something. And you're like, oh my yeah. goodness, it's such a beautiful song. And you look at it and it says Harrison, you know, or Here Comes the Sun, which, you know, is just such a beautiful track. And a lot of the other songs of Harrison's that you just, you know, don't, don't, he, you know, don't get the spotlight as much, you know. And then, and then, of course, there's like just something that's like so silly that you enjoy. I have a, I have a, a very young son and he l- absolutely loves Yellow Submarine. So it's like, how could you not love yeah. that song? Because, yeah. you know, it was a song written for kids or for, I don't, that's my assumption. I have no idea. Uh, I think it was for for kids on LSD. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's how that one yeah. works. And so you know, so stuff like that, you know, is 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 meaningful. I mean, you know, and even even like, you know, obviously it's a it's a Ringo song, but like Octopus's Garden just puts a smile on your face <laughs> yeah. when you listen to it. Right. It's just such a happy song, right. you know. And you can go through so many moods with the Beatles songs. They have the, yeah. the heartbreak songs. They have the happiness songs. They have the reflective and the retrospective songs. You know, I mean, yesterday is the ultimate example of something like that. So, you know, yep. th- the greatest thing about the Beatles, I would say that the impact in my life is that you can find a song that they've done for every possible emotion and probably other emotions that humans have not discovered yet. Uh, <laughs> that's how great the Beatles yeah, are. That's Becker, I think well you said, said something similar when we first started. Like they they cover the wide gamut yeah. of emotions, you know. Yeah, that's, and I've been able to find a Beatles song I think for every mood. You yeah, know? you know, I don't com- know what like. I was gonna say, and it comes it comes like you know, and, and and that doesn't mean that if you're a one mood band, like I love ACDC, I love everything they've ever done. They're pretty much a one mood band, and I don't hold that against them. But I love the fact <laughs> right. when it comes with the Beatles, you have the whole spectrum of like human emotions that you can pick from. And if you want to hear a depressing Beatles song, you got that. If you want to hear a happy yeah. Beatles song, you got that. This, this might be a, a little off track here, but do you think the Stones cover the the same? range of emotion i would say not as not as not the full range certainly because a lot of the stones songs i think are more 
maybe maybe in the late 60s uh early 70s when mick taylor was in the band they did a lot more exploration in terms of or or even at the end of the brian jones years you know even when they jumped into satanic majesty's request where they were going for you know different psychedelica i would say i would say that time period but certainly as the stones have have kept going on they've really found what they do well and they keep doing it so they've they've certainly sort of put them put themselves in a box in terms of, of, of what they do um, because they're great at it. If you're, if you, if you're always great at what you do, just keep doing it. Uh, well, and I think the thing is like uh, the, the peacock walk really covers a wide range of emotions <laughs> that Mick does, yeah. you know, like, I'm like, Oh, I could be a sad peacock. Yeah. I could be a happy peacock. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, lonely peacock. You know, there's, you a, fly. You, there's the gimme shelter peacock and the jumping back. <laughs> yeah. you know? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. All right, everybody, without further ado, uh, let's get into this week's pick. Scotty C., uh, Chris picked this one. Why don't you tell us a little about it? All right, this is fun. I like this a lot. We haven't done anything any, even close to something like this. We're going we're gonna to listen to Free as a Bird, which is a song that John Lennon played on a piano in his home in the Dakotas. In 1977, he recorded it on like a boombox or something like that, playing the piano and singing. And many years later, 20, 20 years later, maybe, I don't know. I don't know the math. But um, the other Beatles were in the 90s, the early 90s. The, Be- the other Beatles were talking about getting together and playing some music. Um, And then they were like, we can't really do that as the Beatles without John. So... Maybe it was, I think it, I think I read it was George, George Harrison and, and Neil, Neil Aspinall maybe reached out to Yoko and said, Hey, is there anything that John has that we can tool around with? And she, she handed Paul a, um, a cassette with four songs on it. And one of them was free as a bird. They were like, all right, let's, let's rock this tune. And they got, um, I don't think George Martin was interested. I'm not exactly sure how that worked out, but. So then George Harrison said, oh, I got this buddy of mine, Jeff Lynn. Let's have him produce us, because otherwise we're just going to fight the whole time. And um, Jeff Lynn came in, and I, you know, I think it was really tricky for him to take that home recording and make it sound good enough to have the other Beatles record onto. And I think he did a fantastic job at that to keep, to keep John's uh, voice and the piano part, at least the voice more than anything, uh, usable for a track and they rec- they recorded pr- probably too many overdubs over it and um came up with this song free as a bird which i think is i remember being 16 years old i bought this album on 45 at a at like a building 19 or some shit or a place next to that and it's very regional reference i don't know yeah okay maybe not um but I remember thinking this was really emotional for me. And I know I spoke of the Beatles like I didn't really get into them until I was later in life. But I remember this being like, holy shit, I love this. This is the Beatles. And that video where they're all like walking through with these like transparent like images of, of, of old, I guess I'll say maybe like a 
Uh, now, hold on. Let me back that up. The video had all kinds of crazy, weird, transparent vis visions of old and, 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 and things coming together. Um, I think it won some awards for the video. The, the track charted pretty well, I think in the UK and in America ended up on the anthology thing. They were doing this whole anthology, uh, collection for, for people to learn more about the Beatles. And they had a, a record that came out with it. And this song was, and one other one, real love, uh, ended up on that. But I don't. I don't know how I feel about how it came out, but Chris, like, um, I know, and I'm guessing you picked it because of the, the connection with, um, the Wilburys and, and George and, 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 and kind of like the vibe of what we were going tonight with, with having you as a guest. But is there something you want to say about this song in particular that made you, that made you pick it? I mean, that definitely was the background for it, but it's also, a song I think that results in endless debate. I've spoken with my friends about this song uh, over drinks well into the morning on, on its merits, <laughs> whether or not it's a Beatles song, whether or not how they feel about how it was produced, uh, its circumstances of being finished. Uh, and I think that is why I felt, well, if I'm going to be on a podcast about a bunch of dudes drinking and talking Beatles songs, I want to pick one that's on the controversial side. Yeah. That's perfect. And I think before we go too much deeper into it, uh, I would encourage everyone uh, for copyright reasons that we can't play this for you to hit pause on this podcast to drop the needle on your record uh, and give a listen to Free as a Bird. I know we're going to go off and do that. And then we'll come back in a couple minutes and talk about it. You guys ready? You guys want to give ready. it a listen? Yeah. Of course. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Yeah, all the way. the anthology it's clearly super controlled in the beatles world of like all right we're going to record these interviews and present them in a very specific way and and i even think at the, the time the beatles were probably not on the same page um as much as they were even even maybe towards the the end of george's life and um You know, I think there's probably a little bit of like a competing agenda. I think it was probably there's a weird tension to those interviews with yeah, the three. Of them. It's a little bit of a Paul project, probably. You know, uh, but all things said, it came together and it produced a brand new Beatles track, and and that's really why we're here, two and a half, five hours into our podcast to talk about. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, it, our, I, Chris, you brought up a great question. Is free as a bird a Beatles song? <laughs> so, like, I hadn't really thought of that. You know, I, I think that's a great way to start. This. So, the so let me give the background why I, I proposed that question. Uh, first of all, it began as a John Lennon demo years after the Beatles right. broke up. I think he recorded in 77, 78, somewhere in that yeah. area. Um, so, on that matter, 
it was not meant to be a Beatles song. It was meant to be a possible John Lennon song. Um, and then when Free as a Bird became a Beatles song or became part of a Beatles project, let me put it that way, is when they were looking to add something new to this anthology. So they took this demo that was recorded on uh, a 1977 or 78 cassette, you know, or something like that. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and that's part of the reason why Jeff Lynn got involved because Jeff Lynn, uh, for, for everything that he is, is a studio wizard. It was like, if anyone can figure out how to make a cassette demo sound good on an actual track, Jeff Lynn's the guy, uh, to do it. And, uh, so that's the big question is, is, should it be considered a Beatles song? It has all four members on it, but it was not recorded together as the intention of being a Beatles song. So, you know, that's, that's the first question. What I like was I've heard, um, I'm not sure which Beatles said it, but they were like, uh, they took the tape and heard John's part and, and they just made it in their minds act like John laid this thing down and said, I'm, I'm heading off for a bit, finish it up for me. So that's yeah, what they kind of going put, on holiday for the weekend. Or I'm going to have a cup of tea or whatever. Yeah. Like, and so they, they put that is. in their mind where they're like, all right, John already put this down and we're, you know, we're back in that time where he's alive with us and this is how we're going to react to it. And I think it was probably way more emotional than that and, and what have you, but maybe that helped him get in that mind space. And I think that's pretty cool and interesting. Yeah. I do too. I think it is a Beatles song at the end of the day. I like, I, I, if I'm made to draw a line in the sand, like this, not only does it have all four members on it, which is the easy answer, but this is kind of a, a, the reunion uh, thing has been so prevalent in the last 10 years of bands who broke up coming back together. And this is the closest thing we're going to get to a Beatles reunion of like they there's artistic input from all four members in this piece yeah. uh, for better or worse. Right. And Yoko's blessing. Right. Yeah. Which is as good as anything coming for, for John from John's end. I think well, <laughs> and it, it, it's really well, interesting to me to come. <laughs> To, no, to come at this after, uh, again, this is this episode will be released a couple months from now, probably. But we in real time are coming at this right after a week, a week or two after recording with Ken Womack talking about that uh, his book, John Lennon, 1980, which focused so heavily on uh, the, the, the period of time. Um, he really focused like seven, 1975 to 1980 when John records this song. And, and now I feel like I have a greater personal connection to it, like understanding what John's working through and going through at that period of time. Well, yeah, that's, I think there's an interesting take here where John, uh, has recorded this song. He's in the Dakota. He is, uh, a little bit in the house husband phased or whatever you want to call what's happening with, with John, but he's a little, um, removed he's not in the public eye and he is writing songs and recording them on this boombox and um i think this song has nothing to do with the beatles you know and i think it's funny for the beatles to to take it in a way right because um it, it, if we can all the other beatles songs we've got to talk about to date we almost get a quote from john or paul or ringo who are telling us what they are about we don't get that luxury here because this is basically just a, a demo. But in this world here where John is talking about sort of being free as a bird, it's the next best thing to be. I take this a little bit to be certainly about Yoko, you know, and sort of uh, 
he he goes away for a little while and comes back to Yoko. I think this to be a little bit about the lost weekend phase of him and and May Pang and 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 I don't know maybe yeah. I'm maybe I'm putting too much into it you know. No, I agree. I think that 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 when he says home home and dry like it, it's kind of like finally I'm home a little yeah. bit you know. He says free as a bird is the next best thing to be. So it's like what is the first best thing to be? And maybe I'm just That's, reading this wrong and I don't have the the degrees that everyone does on this call but like is what's the first best thing to be is sort of out there sowing your your oats you know like hanging out with harry nilsson and and just ringo and getting blackout drunk in la you know and that sounds pretty good i, I want to be there yeah <laughs> <laughs> you put the lime in the coconut and shake it all up. uh chris what what do you think about this song man like what, what are your takes so you know, the backstory of it is just fine. So, so interesting is that they wanted to do something special for this project. And, you know, in terms of the Beatles, you know, they had alternate takes and other stuff, demos that they had, but there was no real song that was unfinished that they could just kind of tidy up and put out new Beatles song. Great. So the idea, I mean, this took a lot of effort and dedication, not just because um, maybe emotionally or whatever from their standpoint, because you have to stand up to the idea of you guys are the Beatles and you're going to put a new song out for the first time in 25 years or whatever it was. Um, but also the, the wizardry in the studio to put this together, I think was, was, very important a key to this because this was probably something that was not possible before 1994 when they, they recorded it and put it together. Yeah. Um, so I, I personally, I, I really enjoy the song. I love it. Um, I love the fact that it has Harrison McCartney and uh, Lennon singing their own parts on it. Yeah. That's, that's a big one. Yeah. That's the, vocal, never happened. the vocals like, are great. Each, yeah. Each get their lead part. You know, right. no one has that, which is why, you know, I know this is not the real love episode, but which is why I like it a lot better <laughs> than real love. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, some of the Beatles, I think also felt the same way about that too. But the fact of the matter is it, it does hold a special place to me because it, you know, it's always cool when musicians that you respect are, are you know, and, and love and enjoy their music are like, hey, guess what? We got something you never heard before. Um, right. And, you know, even – and, you know, you guys are the podcast guys, so so correct – you know, you may have a different opinion. Uh, but, you know, even Beatles' C-level material is better than a lot of bands' A material. <laughs> so yeah. – uh, yeah. so, a, a Beatles song that was sort of put together in the studio from a, a, a almost 20 year Lena, Lennon demo um, with new stuff by the other three was, I, I, th I think it's just a, a, a the beautiful how it came together. And I appreciate that. And I just find it a pretty meaningful song about their relationship. And I couldn't imagine what was going through their heads while they were working on it. And that's what interests right. me. Yeah, do you I do think, you think uh, Oh, go ahead, Tommy. No, no, no go for Scott, it. see, you do. Do you think the Paul line uh, he kind of finishes John's lyric there? He cuz John kind of tails off on the demo on the uh whatever happened whatever to Whatever happened to, yeah. Um and he kind of finishes it. it. It always kind of made me feel 
No pun intended. Is <laughs> <laughs> that the big, the big build up? <laughs> it made me feel. Uh, yeah. No, but it did truly make me feel at the time, especially that, that he was speaking of, uh, this is, this is, this is Paul writing something about, uh, how he felt about the Beatles. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Well, it, yeah. And do we think that, that that's one of these questions where I have like, is that fair? You know, like uh, of John is writing about whatever he's writing about. And, and, and Paul is going to take that and say like, let's make this about us. And, yeah. But do you think that I when think, they wrote songs together back in the day, like Paul would say something and John would be like, Oh cool. That's something I wouldn't have thought of based on my mindset. Right now. You know what? You know you're, what I mean? you're absolutely right. Well, how many songs start with a weird Ringo line that like a throwaway, yeah. like malapropism that, that Ringo says that, you know, hard day's night and that, that becomes an album in a movie, you know? And, and one thing to keep in mind is, you know, these two men were writing partners for so many years together. Yeah. Um, that I think it's fair that if, 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 Lennon leaves something unfinished that McCartney picks it up because that was his writing partner for so. I mean, you, yeah, you know, obviously they is they, in a place to do that. Yeah, and ob- obviously later years they split apart and did their own thing. But ultimately, we judge everything they've done by what they did together. So if there's right. anyone that's going to kind of pick up that slack, uh, the slack that is left because he's not here anymore, it's got to be his his partner in crime for so many years. Yeah. Well. It harkens back to two of us to me in a way, you know, like that, that let it, the opening track of let it be like two of us is really clearly uh, about the relationship between John and Paul in my mind. And I think Paul is is pulling that back in to be like, you know, at at this point. Wow. Jeff Lynn is very much a part of this song. I, uh, Chris said up front and I, I think it's right at the time of what I'm aware of, but he was the best in place to sort of take a track like this and digitally make it something like most people didn't have the capabilities to make this happen, but then yeah. the production doesn't stop at that. And I think that's probably the unfortunate part, you know? Yeah. The wizardry he does of like pulling out John's vocal and pulling out John's piano and setting it to time is yeah. Probably pretty amazing and work that is hard today, like decades later, like, you know, the digital audio work is not necessarily new at that time, but they're breaking new ground. Yeah, you know, it's at very, that point. it's very hard to do this. And also Scotty C talked about the, the video is, and all of that. Like it was yeah. very hard to make this happen digitally 20 something. I mean, 20 something years ago or 26 years ago, 25 years ago. Well, I was always trying to put my, my finger on what I don't love about the way this song sounds. And then I read our new friend, Chris's uh, book here. And there's a quote in the book that says something like, uh, Jeff Lynn learned all the wrong lessons from George Martin. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and I, I'm like, like, I thought that was a hot take and I loved it. And like, uh, how, what's your, what's your feeling on what Jeff does here? So, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a writer, so I'm a literary guy. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull a literary reference here. And Jeff Lynn is in the role of Dr. Frankenstein on this song. You know, and the thing is, you could question about the story of Frankenstein is just because you can do this 
should you do this? Now, from Jeff Lynn's perspective, he can do this and he gets the chance to put together the new Beatles song. Of course he's going to do it. Why would you? He's he's right. a huge Beatles fan. He's a personal friend of George Harrison. Why would he not be in this role? But the question, it's almost like he couldn't turn down this offer. It's impossible. Yeah. Like none of us would. If someone literally said to you tomorrow, could you produce the next Beatles song? Even if you have no production talent whatsoever, you'd be like, absolutely. I'm, I'm on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there. Got that. Um, yeah. So we're, we're talking about a guy who was in kind of an impossible position, I think, because he could not say no to this job. Um, and because he was the, the right man for the job, the question is whether or not the job should have been done. And there is a ton of of layers on this, and and we talked about Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever album earlier, where that's sort of the biggest criticism of a lot of Jeff Lynne's work with Tom Petty is is the multi layer. You know, we need seven layers of guitars, and we need you got to you know, bury it, yeah, yeah, bury it. We'll bury it in the mix. We'll bury yeah. it, and um, that's Jeff Lynne's style. I, I. I but I couldn't imagine any other producer being able to pull off what Jeff Lynne did here. Um, you know, certainly we talked about Tom Petty and Rick Rubin. I, Rick Rubin's a stripped down guy. I, uh, well, on on some stuff, I can't imagine yeah. a stripped down version of "Free as a Bird" uh, because the the piano vocal take was done on a cassette in 1977. Yeah. You know, the audio quality needs to kind of be buried a little bit. I mean, we listen to it. We can recognize it's John Lennon's voice, but it sounds like it's John Lennon's voice with like a funky Beatles filter, you know, kind of on it. But it's really just kind of bad cassette recording with <laughs> yeah, a funky Beatles filter right. on top of it. So, and you know, I think I, you know, I have to praise Jeff Lynn for Frankensteining the best possible track i think he could have yeah. out of this material and if you because all all of this john lennon demo material is available it's out there uh, especially nowadays you can hear it and the sound quality is, is certainly not yeah it's a studio yeah. ready at all it's a yeah. weird spot to jump off of to be like we're making a beatles song. right but it's just too and bad george martin it, it, uh we didn't talk too much about george martin on this right like oh maybe you entered him at the top but um George Martin sort of, I can't tell, uh, and there's, uh, from my, my research, it only goes so deep, but George Martin, I can't tell if he declines to participate, and he sort of he claims, does. he claims he has hearing issues, but I don't know if George yeah. Harrison insists on Jeff Lynne participating or not. Well, I think they offer it to George Martin first. Uh, is what I and George Martin I've claims done. that he doesn't have the hearing to do it. He doesn't have the hearing to do it, but then helps produce the whole anthology documentary after that. And then later, um, like the love album for Cirque du Soleil, and all yeah, like, like right. he's got another like ten years in well, those years, you know. And the, and then you know, in hindsight, in, in talking about this track specifically, <laughs> the quote years. I've read, <laughs> the the quote I read from George year Martin says, <laughs> "The year he says years. they." <laughs> <laughs> come on boys <laughs> yeah. he says they stretched it out and compressed it and put it around until it got to a regular waltz control click and then they were done the result was that in order to reveal the bad bits they had to plaster it fairly heavily or i'm sorry conceal the bad bits they had to plaster it fairly heavily so that what you ended up with was quite a thick homogeneous sound that hardly stops 
that's so that you know his hindsight afterwards is saying like oh this like homogenous who said I that think i said homogeneous george martin oh, okay said this like homogenous like uh, just straight sound all the way through there's he's basically saying there's no dynamic to it and kind of that's, a, I mean, Jeff that's the consequence of the material. I don't, yeah. you know, like, right. I blame Jeff for the, the guitar tone. I, I don't like George's tone ripping into this, but it's very much like, like the a, way that the a, drum sounds. It's very much a Jeff Lynn sound, which is, is yeah. sort of what you're going to get. But I think if he's got to deal with the source material and I've, uh, I've listened to the, the demo take of it, it seems, it seems like a great take on it. All things said, like it, you're pulling all you can out of it. But I was saying earlier, like, was anthology just too early? Did they not know that like the future was? They didn't know. Who knows what's coming? But um, what could have? <laughs> what could have? <laughs> yeah, if this is performed on Jetpack, if, if Elon Musk got a check, uh, got a chance to, uh, to make this happen, what would it sound like? But really, like right now, if you got to take this track, uh, what would it all mean? Like if anthology came out today, um, what would it all mean? You know, like could like. Uh, like you gave this to Jeff Tweedy or something, would it be like an interesting, different thing than? Yeah. Then we well, you know the, it's too bad. Like we have I, right I, now. I hadn't necessarily thought of this before right now, but it's so the pros were all saying of Jeff Lynn on this track or his ability to pull out like the cassette garbage and make it into something and, listenable and the know, piano and the, know and what, the vocal. yeah, and know what it takes to, to, to make a track work with something right. so lo-fi it's it's almost too bad jeff didn't do that lo-fi to hi-fi work right and then george martin takes it from there and now now let me work with the remaining three beatles to to put this the, did you the guys know that they were calling together. them the threedles that's not for real is it that's I not for real yeah, i didn't know it at the time but I they're mean, calling I knew them the threedles when, I, I like i remember reading that when uh george harrison did the all those years ago song and had ringo and paul paul yeah. on it i think that was a media thing being like the threedles you know <laughs> I, I i don't know if that was an official branded like i don't think you're gonna see that in yeah Beatles i don't think they adopted it yeah. you know but I do love that Jeff Emmerich is there. Like I, yeah. I did. You uh, think that adds that. like a, a credit? I think that credit. adds some authenticity to it. Yeah. That like this dude is really important to to the Beatles in a really unrecognized way. And like we talk a lot about Mal Evans on this cast, guys, <laughs> and we all love Mal Evans. And I think Jeff Emmerich's right up <laughs> there in the Mal Evans pantheon of like great unrecognized Beatles people like Jeff is the the guy that figures out like the effects on John's vocals that he likes. Jeff is the guy that figures out how to do the, the double tracking with, uh, I forget who the other engineer is off the top of my head, but like that, like these are the guys that like that Beatles sound like they are essential to. And so and, I, I love that he is part of this, but I think that you lack that Beatles sound a bit mm-hmm. on this track. And maybe yeah. it's because it's years later and things just sound differently and everyone's changed a bit. It's it's so many years later. I, I do think here that it's funny that the Beatles go like back to birds and embrace this sort of free as a bird song. And I think very specifically, and we're talking about Paul, but here it says as a bird on wings. And that sort of stands out to me a bit because I don't know, like oh, we're yeah. talking about this period of John and he's continually hearing 
what Paul is up to, and he's continually hearing about wings and things like that. And I think Ooh. it's funny that mm. we have this wow. this reference here. I don't have Never thought of a that. dramatic way to bring it back I around, but like. In 77, Wings is clearly a, a very popular band, you know, like they, they've done probably most of their run or 77, 78, whenever this demo's really recorded. Yeah, no, they've been a band on the run. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it's funny that it has this this sort of moment here. I, I don't know where it comes around. I don't know that it resolves at all, but it's interesting that it's it's here, you know. It is. I never thought of it. Not Never came to my mind. No, I hadn't either. Yeah, that's great. So I, I wonder if this makes me a Beatles scholar now. I don't know. I think you are. I think you graduated. <laughs> Should you text the woe? <laughs> <laughs> Can I get dubbed? So, guys, he... We've talked kind of around the song a little bit. We've talked about the production. We've talked about the video, you know, all these things. I want to just one quick thing I noticed diving into it. And I don't know what kind of reaction it's going to get. It was really interesting to me. Um, John's lyrics, if this is a McCartney-Lennon collab here, John's lyrics kind of take the more positive spin, like the free, I'm free as a bird all of that. And then Paul's newer lyrics in that, like what the Beatles would call the middle eight, it's more like dour in a way like this, whatever happened to the life that we once knew. And yeah. that's a weird juxtaposition from where the Beatles always kind of were. Oh man. Like that. Yeah. This is um, unbelievable. Cause you saying that right now. And then I think Becker and I were just chatting earlier while, while you had computer issues or something. And we were talking about how, John's voice is the high voice and Paul's yeah. voice is the oh, low shit. voice. You know, yeah, it's yeah, very, I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. So the, the, it's like a total reversal yeah. in a way from like, you know, Paul was always kind of talking about the happy stuff. And then John would come up with that like little sardonic twist or whatever yeah. to like make you think of the, the song in a new lens. And I think that Paul is pretty I don't know if he does it on purpose even, but he's pretty successful in that here. I would totally. say. Yeah. Yeah, and, I had uh, I kind of forgot about that a little bit, but um, he comes in here with uh, a way different part than you would expect, and that John is singing almost the the most intricate piece of this tune. Yeah, this is episode fourteen, and we need to decide where "Free as a Burn" stands in relation to everything else. Uh, and here's the thing: we haven't hit the magical mystery word, so I would propose almost before we choose to do this. Should we take a quick nip? I know that that Chris on his own has, has sourced some fantastic bourbon that he should be able to dip into. So right, let's let's we toast have a, have to our ranking, toast? and let's toast to just the anthology as a whole, like th this thing that kind of got me back into the Beatles, and I think all of us and has been a good discussion point for us all. And uh, yeah, I loved it. It was great. Cheers. Let's Cheers. rank it. Cheers, y'all. Cool. All right, let me run down the highlights for you guys. We got an hour left. <laughs> <laughs> so currently sitting at number one, we've got "Happiness Is a Warm Gun" from the White Deservedly. Album. Currently sitting yeah. at no at number five, we have the song "Day Tripper." That's a single. Uh, currently sitting at number ten, "All My Lovin'" from with the Beatles. That was the Ed Sullivan performance, right? And then uh, finally, in last place, our last episode, Taste of Honey from Please Please Me, that Paul song. Uh, I'm going to throw in just a, a starting point here for our, our discussion. All right. 
do we think this song is better than what currently sits at number 11? Tell me why from A Hard Day's Night. It's a good start. Better point. or worse than Tell Me Why? Um, that's where I'm starting. So you know when we when we when we talk about this stuff, it's not necessarily about um, its potential, but it's about what we have to work with. Yeah, that's how I feel right now. Um, right now, this song feels better to me than Tell Me Why. I, I'll agree yeah. with that. Chris, how you feeling about? This versus the song "Tell Me Why." You, why? Yeah, you cry. You cry. I, th- I think why it's. I think it's a better. I, it's a better song. Uh, uh, put production aside, I think it's a better song. <laughs> yeah, that's the hard part, right? Like, it is a better song. I, I totally agree. So this is where it's already starting to get a little tough for me. If we move one up the yeah, rank, yeah, I can't put it. I is, can't put it above that one. Yeah. We're we're talking about the song All My Lovin'. Uh, that was from With the Beatles. It's mostly a Paul McCartney song. That is the song they play on Ed Sullivan. The first, yeah. You know, this is America's introduction to the Beatles. Does anyone feel that Free as a Bird is better than All My Lovin'? No. I can't I can't put it above no. that. No way. No. I don't think so. I feel like, but solidly between All My Lovin' and Tell Me Why, yeah. it seems like a great place for this to Totally, I'm, I'm yes. With, yeah. the, the, I'm with you guys. I think even for just historical importance, it's got to be below that. Not even yeah. close. I think, I think. You know, the, yeah. the sad part for me is that Free as a Bird has the potential. I think it has a potential to be one of the. You know what I like? It, it it's the potential here is the what we would call in the sports world the upside potential is huge. Yeah. on Freeze. Well, and I think if this song was a song that John had brought to the White Album sessions or some sort of thing, like if this was on the White Album and they recorded it in those times, I think it would be one of the top five songs on that album. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So that's where we are. Uh, Free as a Bird currently ranks at number 11. Uh, uh, you know, this is our 14th episode. Free as a Bird ranks at number 11. And what I'm going to ask Becker, how you feel about taking us home on this episode? Yeah, I would love to. And I'm really proud to put this um, in its place. I'm, I'm actually really excited that we got to this because I don't think we're going to touch on real love for a while. So... Chris, where can uh, we hear further about you? I know you just you've got the book out right now. Where uh, where should people pick that up? Sure. So you can pick uh, the book up wherever books are sold these days, which is really Amazon. Um, but uh, <laughs> in general, you can follow me at uh, Chris McKit on Twitter. Um, that's C H R I S M C K I T. My website's the same thing, chrismckit.com. Uh, but I also have a uh, Instagram and Twitter for the Tom Petty book, which is Petty Los Angeles at Petty Los Angeles. Thanks again for listening. This was Blood of Beatles. Um, Scott, to see, we did not hit the magical mystery word, which uh, seems amazing to me at this point. But what was it this uh, this time around? It was ghost. Ghost. Oh, oh. Wow. like the ghost of Lennon. Yeah. Oh, spooky. I think uh, and that the ghost of Lennon had been got. looming over this entire conversation and Timmy yeah. was correct in picking that as a word, but uh, we didn't well, get that. Well, thank there. you Timmy. Yeah. Hey, thanks for throwing it out and I, I apologize that uh we didn't do more shots. <laughs> I'm Becker and that's Tommy your co-host. This podcast is produced, edited, composed and magically assembled by Scotty C. 
uh, with additional music supervision and assistance from our friend and yours, RB. Uh, that B stands for Beatles. Check him out on at Ryan O. Brooks on all of the socials. Um, we are on socials also at Blotto Beatles at at Blotto Beatles. Uh, please remember <laughs> this show is performed by professionals. Enjoy yeah, Blotto Beatles responsibly. I'm not driving anywhere tonight. Uh, Chris, you are nope. you, you're at home, I, I hope. I hope you're not going anywhere. Uh, we are at home. <laughs> where else would you go these days i don't know um don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app of choice and of course uh peace and love peace, peace and love.